Good morning. If you can go ahead and grab a seat, we're going to get started. Before we do so, I got to say there's a very special feeling of grace when you are sick and you have three young kids under the age of nine and you're supposed to be preparing a sermon and your wife creates space for you to heal and to prepare and not make you feel uh, guilty for that. So thank you to my wife, Stacy. who's been fighting off a cold. So uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible uh, or a Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 13. And uh, the book of Hebrews I, I really love because uh, even though we don't know who wrote it, uh, most scholars are pretty uh, aligned in the belief that it was written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so what makes that unique uh, in, the, in the book of Hebrews is you know, you've got in Scripture, you've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament, and they're both parts of one story, but they really feel very different. And the Old Testament is the story of God calling Israel to be his people, that he will bless and bless and bless so that Israel can bless the nations. And so it's the story of God calling Israel and blessing Israel and Israel time and time again really kind of ignoring and not stewarding well that blessing. And then the New Testament is the story of Jesus, God in flesh, coming and redeeming us and really kind of replacing Israel as God's people with the church as God's people. And so we are the church. And so the unique thing about the book of Hebrews is it's speaking in the, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, to the young church, but it's speaking to a group of people whose context and whose heritage is really the Old Testament. It's, it's the rich symbolism and uh, rhythms and rituals of the Jewish faith that all were pointing towards Jesus. And so for us who didn't live in the first century, and most of us at least are not uh, culturally Jewish in faith, a lot of the symbolism from that faith that really points toward Jesus can be lost on us. And in Hebrews, you see this kind of folding together of the church and the coming of Christ and Israel and the symbolism of Israel and all that coming together. And so we're going to look at a small passage today from Hebrews 13, and we're going to look at the symbolism and see what it has to say to us as part of the church. So again, we're going to be in Hebrews 13. Sam, I decided not to try the clicker, so I'll just give you subtle hand gestures. So we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 13 of Hebrews. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such, with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you that you saw it to be worthwhile to send your son on our behalf. You were pleased to do that. Thank you for that sacrifice that makes it possible for us to come into your presence today. And I ask that you would speak your truth to us. You would illuminate the words that were spoken to your followers 2,000 years ago and that it would impact us with a better understanding of who you are and of what you've done and as a result, what we are called to be and to do. Thank you. So again, because this is written to a people of a faith of thousands of years that we don't have a lot of continuity with, on the surface, a passage like this is about as logical as one of my kids' homemade jokes. Like, why did the giraffe go to the doctor? Because it's spaghetti. <laughs> like, every day I'm getting these jokes. And I, I, to them, somehow there's a connection between giraffe, doctor, spaghetti, there's no, there's no way of figuring out what that is. And in the same way, when you hear this priest goes into this holy place and takes blood, but then the body goes outside, and somehow, because of this, then Jesus has to go outside, and because Jesus goes outside, then we have to go outside. And on the surface, there's just no logical connection. But unlike my kids' jokes, if we dive down and look at the context and look at the author's intent, we can get a very clear message of what's being communicated to them at that time and to us today. And so going to that first verse in the passage, verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And what the author's talking about here is the, the Jewish sacrificial system. At creation, God created man, God created man in his image. And part of what that meant was that we were to find all of our life and all of our love only in him. And scripture talks repeatedly about God being the only source of life, that God is love. And so we can find life and love only in and through him. And at the fall of man in the, in the Garden of Eden with the fruit, and echoing through every successive generation, what you find is mankind then and now trying to find life and love anywhere except for in God's presence. So when we talk about idols, when we talk about sin, really at the root what we're talking about is our stubborn belief, contrary to all of our experience, that we can get life and love somewhere apart from the only real source of it, God's presence. And so to remind God's people, Israel, that he established to be a blessing to the nations, to remind them of the consequences of sin, the consequences of seeking life and love elsewhere, blood and death and separation from him, he established this sacrificial system where priests would sacrifice animals and that blood would somehow symbolically provide forgiveness for that separation, for that sin, for that seeking of life and love apart from God. And so that's what the author of Hebrews is referring to here, that the high priest carries the blood, which is the acceptable part of the sacrifice, the clean part, and takes it into the holy, the holy place, but the body of the animal is considered unclean, so it's taken outside the camp or outside the city. So in the next slide, yeah, what we see, Sam, you're on top of it, man. 
on the left is a picture, a little picture of what the author is referring to as the most holy place. Because in the city of Jerusalem, at the center of Jerusalem is the temple. And in the center of the temple is this place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. In the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, is where the high priest, the highest priest in the order of priests in Israel, would take the sacrifice. And it's where the presence of God in the Old Testament dwelt. And it was such a holy place that what they would do is when the, when the high priest would go into this place, and he was the only one allowed in there, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if, if he collapsed dead before the holiness of God and the Holy of Holies, they could pull his body out without having to go into that holy place. So that's where the acceptable part of the sacrifice went, the blood. And the body, which was seen as unclean, went outside the city. So that's the, that's the juxtaposition there. In the center of Jerusalem, in the center of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, that's where the clean stuff goes. That's where the acceptable stuff goes. Outside the city is where the body goes. And to see an example of God's emphasis of this, if we go to the next slide, as Moses is receiving the law from God, here's one example. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. And this is one of, we could just go through dozens and dozens and dozens of passages in the, in the Old Testament law talking about anything that is broken, anything that is unclean, anything that is defiled, anything that is unwhole, anything that is sick, has to go outside the camp. If it's unclean, it goes outside the camp. Only what is clean can be inside. And so if we go to the next uh, passage, just again a synopsis. Inside, in that, in that holy place in the temple, what is holy, what, what belongs, what is healthy, what is acceptable, Outside the gate or outside the camp, what is unclean, what doesn't belong, what is unhealthy, what is unacceptable. So why is the author of Hebrews talking about this? Why is the author bringing up the fact that the high priest takes the blood, the acceptable part, in the Holy of Holies, and takes the body, the unacceptable part, takes it outside the city? I think we'll see that in looking at one of the prophecies. Again, the Old Testament is about Israel, God establishing Israel blessing Israel to be a blessing to the nations, continually failing at that. And so throughout the Old Testament, prophecies pointing to the coming of Jesus that will bring redemption. So in Ezekiel, there's one of these prophecies of what will come with Jesus. We can go to the next slide, that passage from, oh, go to the next one. There we go. I will sprinkle clean water, and sprinkling is, connects to that imagery of the sacrificial system. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is Ezekiel, a prophet of Israel, prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And what he's saying, or what Jesus is saying through Ezekiel, is that he will make them clean. He will cleanse them. Future tense. So if they're going to be clean, what are they now? Dirty. Awesome. 
dirty, unclean, unwhole. Because, again, sin at root is seeking this life and love apart from God, and we see throughout history and in our own lives everyone falling short of God by pursuing that life and love elsewhere, we're all unclean. We're all in need of cleansing. And so when the author of Hebrews talks about the high priest taking what is clean into the Holy of Holies and what is unclean outside the city, he knows he's talking to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who would be familiar with the prophecies. And when hearing about this, would be reminded of prophecies like this and the fact that they had been declared unclean. So the bottom line of that first verse in the passage, if you go to the next slide, is that we come from outside the camp. We all belong outside the camp where the unclean things are. Because we continually chase after life and love anywhere except for God's presence. We're unclean. Let's go back to the passage. The high priest carries the blood, the clean part of the offering, into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies, the unclean part, are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, if you think about what we've been talking about, this actually doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh. The only truly clean and whole and right thing in all of the universe. If there's anything that belongs in the Holy of Holies on the inside, it's Jesus. Where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies, that's where he he belongs. But instead, he goes outside for us. And if you read the passage of Christ's crucifixion, you see that he, at the beginning of the day, is at the temple. And by the end of the day, he is outside the city, dying, shedding blood. The first and only sacrifice in the history of Israel taking place outside the gate. His blood shed not in the accepted inside place, but outside, because that's where we are from. Next passage. This is how Paul describes that effort in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God knew that there was no amount of animal sacrifice that could bring us back to his presence, that could bring us to a place where we would once again seek our life and our love from him. What it would take is a perfect, infinitely good, and infinitely holy sacrifice outside the city where we belong. And we read of the results in 1 Peter. We talked, we read this earlier this morning, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's one of, one of the great pictures of we were a people outside. We were a people in darkness. We were a people not of God. And because of his sacrifice, we were brought into light. We become the people of God and we receive mercy. Bottom line of that second verse in the passage, that Christ met us outside the camp. We come from outside the camps, where we belong, unclean, always seeking life and love elsewhere. And the only way we could ever be anywhere except for outside the camp is if Christ came to us, outside the camp. That's what he did. Back to the passage. So, because we, we were outside the camp, Christ came to us outside the camp, therefore let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The point here is obvious with the other context we've given. We can go to the next slide. We're called outside the camp. Because we are from the outside the camp, we belong outside the camp, but Christ came to us outside to redeem us and make us worthy of entering the city. We've been singing this morning about the city that we hope for. It's not the Jerusalem that is in Israel now. It's not Atlanta or New York. It's the city that we will all go to. Not Washington, D.C. A city that we will be able to enter the gates of, singing Hosanna, because Christ came outside the city for us. We're called outside with him. Easy enough, right? Next slide. How many of you have heard of the Sneetches by Dr. Seuss? Show of hands, anybody? Like five people? Okay, y'all need, to, y'all need to buff up your Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss is a prophet. He's amazing. So I don't know if you can see, but um, right here, these are Sneetches. And uh, both of them have little green stars on their bellies. And so uh, in the story of the Sneetches, what you have is these are the star-bellied Sneetches. And the star-bellied Sneetches have bellies with stars. And all the other Sneetches have none upon thars. The direct quote. In the story of the Sneetches, the star-bellied Sneetches were on the inside. And all the other Sneetches were on the outside. And the outside Sneetches couldn't go to hot dog roasts or marshmallow roasts or sing the great songs. They were the outside. So sad. An entrepreneur comes into town with a big machine and says, I can put bellies, I can put stars on your bellies. So all the non-star-bellied Sneetches go and get stars. And when the original, the OG star-bellied Sneetches see that the rest have star-bellies, they are appalled because they don't have the right to have those stars. Only we have the right to have those stars. So the entrepreneur says, you know, this machine doesn't just put stars on. It can also remove stars. So the original star-bellied Sneetches go and get their stars removed, say, Stars are passe, no longer popular, 
you guys are missing it. And so throughout the book, stars, not stars, stars, no stars, star, no stars, until at the end there's five-star belly, five belly sneeches in, in the whole spectrum. And they finally get it and realize that it doesn't matter who has a star and who doesn't have a star. The sneeches finally got it, but we really never do. There's something in us that makes us always want to be on the inside and have others on the outside. And the reason that Israel ultimately failed in its call to be a blessing to the nations, from the first moment of Israel's creation throughout its history, God time and time again said, I'm not just blessing you so that you can be blessed. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. They continually got caught up in this idea that they were on the inside. They had the inside track to God and everybody else was outside, and that was a good thing. And because of that, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees as he was speaking to, him, to them on earth, Matthew 21. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Israel got caught up in being on the inside and as a result, the kingdom was given to the church. That's us. Now called in the same way, blessed to be a blessing. And we are insiders, man. We are inside. We've received Christ's forgiveness. So we're welcomed inside the city of God, the kingdom of God. By no uh, work of our own, born in a country that really puts us on the inside with wealth. A time in history that really puts us on the inside with health. In so many ways, we're inside. So the question for us, as, as it was a question for Israel, is, is what will we do with that? As we find ourselves on the inside not because of anything we did, will we simply celebrate being on the inside or will we go outside as Christ did for us? We live in, in a time in history, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty. And in times of fear and uncertainty, our innate desire is to circle the wagon, take care of our own, there's calls to build a wall, keep the outsiders out. And this isn't a political message, but the political messages of our day are simply reflections of the climate of our culture. We're in a climate of fear, in a climate of, man, things are uncertain, so let's take care of us. And everybody else can take care of themselves. The reminder from this author of the Hebrew, of the letter to the Hebrews, is that we all are outsiders. And the only reason we were invited inside is because of Christ coming outside to us. So here's the author's prescription to us Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise 
the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This seems like kind of a cliche and maybe disappointing prescription, praise God and do good things to others. Like, that's probably the takeaway for the nursery upstairs. Praise God and do good to others. Man, can't we have something a little more profound? But I I think those two things are actually a progression. Because when, when we find ourselves on the inside, whether it's inside politically or inside socially or inside spiritually, there's only two directions we can go. And the most natural direction is really one of entitlement. I'm inside because I deserve to be inside. I worked harder. I'm smarter. I'm stronger. I was chosen. I belong on the inside. And when we go down that path of entitlement, believing that we deserve to be on the inside, it causes us to look with disdain on anyone that's outside. Because if we're on the inside because we deserve it, it can only mean that they're on the outside because they don't deserve it. And as we continue to walk down that road of entitlement, we deserve it, they don't deserve it. Our primary concern becomes, how do we keep stars on us and no stars on them? How do we make this distinction between the inside and outside clearer and clearer and clearer? How do we insulate ourselves to make sure we never lose our star? The other path that comes only through Jesus is a posture of gratefulness. Recognizing that my status as inside, inside God's kingdom, comes not from me. And the best way I've ever heard this communicated is by a guy named Art Azurdia. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. I don't know where he comes from or where he ministers. But a, um, a Christian rap and spoken word artist named Beautiful Eulogy uh, came out with an album called Instruments of Mercy. And on one of the tracks uh, called Blessed Are the Merciful, there's a clip from a message from this guy, Art Azurdia. And I would love to play it for you, but I'm just going to read it for you less passionately than he did. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, he doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, and dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? How then is it possible to experience it and not display it? It isn't possible. You haven't experienced it if you don't display it. Next slide. The evidence of God's mercy in your life isn't determined by how much theology you know, by how many books you read, but by your active goodness to people in misery and in need. And I think the reason the author of the Hebrews put those two commands next to each other and in the order they're in is that when we recognize that our status as insiders in the kingdom of God comes from no effort of our own, but by the grace of God, that gratefulness for God's mercy that we do not deserve 
can only ever come out in thankfulness and in passing on to others what what we have received. And the next slide goes back to that passage. So if we, through Jesus, let uh, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise for the mercy we've received, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, the, nat- the natural result will be doing good and sharing with others sacrifices that God is pleased with. There's a lot of, a lot of the fear that's taking place today for those in the church, a lot of people think that with legislation that's being passed and with movements that are going on, that the space for Christians to practice their faith is shrinking and it's going to disappear. And so there's a lot of angst about that. And I see that energy from that angst really being poured into trying to fight for our space. Fight for space legislatively and fight for space geographically and just fight for space on social media, militantly fighting for space. But I think our call is right here in this passage. Because the Jewish Christians in the first century in Jerusalem, man, no space. There were people that had, that had moved from the faith of their forefathers, thousands of years, into a new faith, resulting in being ostracized by everyone in their community. How could a Jewish person leave the Jewish faith? And if that wasn't bad enough, it's the Roman Empire. And Rome has gotten used to Judaism and is kind of saying, you do your thing, we'll do our thing, pay us taxes, and we'll all be good. But this new Christian faith, there's no place for that. We'll take you and we'll feed you to lions. So if you're you're wrestling with potentially being in a culture that's going to take away your space that you deserve as an insider in the kingdom of God, look to the first century Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Their culture, their government, their community, everything was diametrically opposed to their faith. And so the person writing to this community, speaking to these people that are afraid, not just for their ability to go to church on Sunday, but for their very lives, his call to them is not to take up arms. His call to them is not to become militants. His call to them is to go outside the city, outside the gates, take on the disgrace of Christ, suffer with him because he did so for you. We have eternal citizenship in the city of God, but our call today is to go outside. And so our challenge this week, for each of us, is to ask that question. Who in my community is, is outside? Who is outside relationally? Who is outside emotionally? Who is outside financially? Who is outside 
politically. And there are some universal answers in this community. And there's some unique answers based on where each of us finds ourselves Monday through Friday. Our call this week is to ask that question, who are the outsiders? And then after answering that question, asking, instead of using my energy to fight for my space as an insider, what can I do to use my energy to fight for fellow outsiders? Come alongside Christ praising him for his mercy and rescuing me from the outside and minister alongside him to my fellow outsiders. Pray. Father, I confess I have chronic memory loss in remembering how I got to where I am. It's so easy for me to pat myself on the back for working so hard or being so obedient or not breaking rules or so many other things. And I ask that for me and for everyone else here, you would rivet us to the truth that, man, there's, just, there's nothing we've done and there's nothing we could ever do to merit our entrance into the city of God. That our lives would be defined by a posture of worship to a God that would come outside the city for us. That would move us to go where you did for others not fighting for our own rights, but for the rights and flourishing of others. Thank you for fighting for us. We worship you today.